0: Watch and listen to this message, and others, Lord, who would listen through sermon audio, people in different countries, really, many parts of the the country, this country. We thank you for the opportunity to have that kind of a broadcast, that kind of an influence with people, even though we don't really result in person. But, Lord, I Just pray that in this hour, this study, that the crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. That he would have his way in our life each and every day. That we would learn to walk fully before you. Seek to serve other people first and not ourselves. And, Lord, that we would, with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, endeavor to love you. Help us also, Lord, to be patient with one another, to love one another, not to tear down one another, but to build up one another. Thank you, Father, for your grace that's working out in all of our lives But Lord, not not at the same pace. And Lord, we just would pray for those who are not walking like they should that they would hold fast to the word of God. And Lord, allow the Spirit of God to use that word to build them up and to strengthen them in their faith. We know that one day, Father, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be presented faultless before the throne of our Savior Jesus Christ. He purchased the church with his own blood. He is the head of the church. And Lord, may he have the preeminence in this church and every Christian assembly, every local body of believers, every foreign missionary. Lord, everyone who, who names the name of Christ, may they live for him and exalt him. With the testimony of their lives. Bless us now, I pray, in Jesus' name again. Amen. So typically, if you listen to sermons or read articles about King Solomon and the time fame, fortune, and folly, they posit the idea that Solomon started out well, but he certainly did not finish. Well, and indeed, that is what the narrative in First Kings through chapter 11 reads. However, there are clues that Solomon began to come. all pagan deities' lives, participate in the work It's true. David, on the other hand, he ended up right with God. We know he started many troubles in his caused by his own sin, but he ended up praising God and I believe right with the Lord. In the second First Chronicles twenty nine nine, it says, "Therefore David blessed the Lord." the assembly and David, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. And then he said, Both riches and honor come from you. In the first Chronicles 2926 it says Thus David the son of Jesse reigned over all Israel. And the people over Israel was 40 years, seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem, and he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon reigned in his place. I believe that God altered David because he was a man after God's own heart, we know that. Even though he sinned, he humbled himself over his sin. In the case of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, he held out for the longest period without repentance. But during that time of one year, he was afflicted. I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Psalm 51. And then in verse 7 of that psalm, he said, Purge, this, shall be, I will be whiter than snow. The Lord said to Moses, "Be the law of leprosy. I'll examine him. if leprosy is healed in is healed in the leper to be healed, then the priests shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds." Cedarwood, scarlet. The leper was to be cleaned, healed with hyssop. And David says, wash me with hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop. Now, hyssop was a small shrub that was, as we just read, used in the ceremonial cleansing of lepers under the Old Testament law. And the, the hyssop branch is a means by which the blood of the sacrifice was transferred to the sinner. And the cedar aromatic scent provided through the burning of that sacrifice and scarlet yarn are what some have called ritual detergents. Right? Tide gets the the dirt out, right? If you want your life to be a sweet aroma to the Lord, then you need to be cleansed, not by hyssop, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, three says, Of whom, that's Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, what does it say? Purged. Same word that David used, purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. In First Kings chapter fifteen, verse five, it says, "David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite." So that was the one sin where he delayed his repentance, and he paid the the price for it. And I think. The lesson to be learned is that we have to confess our sins quickly, or you know what we will become entangled in those sins. sometimes we don't even see how they are starting to entangle us, but they do hebrews twelve one says therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, entangles us. And then let us run with confidence the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now I want you to pay attention to these words of Solomon to his son in Proverbs 5.21. For the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord and he panders all his paths. His own iniquities trap and snare the wicked man and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Too bad Solomon didn't follow his own advice, right? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're really good at advising other people and not following that advice ourselves. Well, in 1 Chronicles chapters twenty through 29, don't turn there, we won't read them. But David began to prepare for the temple. At the age of 37, David expressed his desire to build a temple, but he was forbidden to do so because he was a man of war in which human lives were taken and much blood had been shed. And God wanted a man of peace to construct the temple, not a man of war. And that's because Isaiah says in chapter 56 and verse 7 that his house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. First Chronicles 22.5, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious. Throughout all countries, we will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death, and then he called for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And the preparations David made, and I know you've covered some of this material, but it's good to hear it again, right? They included an enormous amount of gold, silver, brass, iron, blocks of stone, timbers, 24,000 Levites to supervise the work, 6,000 Levites as bailiffs and judges, 4,000 Levites as temple guard, 4,000 Levite musicians, and a special choir of 238 skilled singers. Can you imagine what they must have sounded like? He gives the commission to Solomon. In 1 Chronicles 22, 12, May the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. And in the 13th verse, he says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. First Chronicles 22, 19, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God, Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Holy Articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. So David passes the baton on to his son Solomon. And Solomon reigned from around 961 to 922 B.C., and his his reign has been called Israel's Golden Age. It was never eclipsed. But he started out with some opposition, if you know the narrative, chiefly by a man named Adonijah, who was the oldest living son of David, Adonijah. And Adonijah was supported by Joab, And he was also supported by Abiathar, the high priest. Zadok also was probably high priest at that time. Most scholars believe there were two of them. And Zadok supported David. So perhaps Abiathar was, was jealous. So he followed Adonijah in the rebellion. Because he believed that David was too old and too unfit to be king. Well, it didn't work out for those rebels, right? Solomon had Adonijah and Joab executed. And then he had Abiathar the priest exiled. And the takeaway for me in this is that Satan always will have people to come against the plan of God or try to. He always will. Remember the story in the book of Nehemiah, right? They're they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And great opposition rose up against them. So I would say to you today, stand for the Lord and you can expect opposition. Stand for nothing and you could have a life generally free of enemies, at least on the spiritual battlefront. Stand for nothing and you'll have no opposition. Stand for the Lord and you can expect it from within and from without. Now, one other man who was eventually executed by Solomon was the man that we spoke about last week. Remember Shemai? Shimei? The man who threw stones and cursed David? Well, he eventually was killed, fulfilling David's dying request that Joab and Shemai be killed by Solomon so that justice could be served. And they had it coming indeed. Well, what we know about Solomon is that he was famous, right for for many things, but most notably, he was famous from the wisdom that he received from God and the riches that he received from God. First Kings chapter three. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king. Instead of my father David, but I am a little child. Didn't necessarily mean a little child. That particular term could speak of someone who's a little older. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people. Too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may be discerned between good and evil. Now, no little child would probably ask such a thing. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the speech, the Bible says, pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And it got me thinking, just ponder it for a moment. Don't, don't speak out loud. If, you, if God could grant you one thing, one thing, what would you ask for what would you ask for it says in first kings 429 and god gave solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore thus solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of egypt for he was wiser than all men than ethan the ezrahite and heman Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar tree of Lebanon to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who heard, the wisdom of Solomon. They came to, to hear that wisdom in person. He wrote about everything. Everything. Just read the book of Ecclesiastes. And in First Kings chapter 10, you, you have the witness of the, of, the, of the queen of Shiva who comes to him. Let's turn turn there just for a moment. First Kings chapter 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba had heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Don't get any ideas. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue of camels that bore spices, much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and the entry way by which he kept up to, went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was taken away by what she saw. And then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Nobody was exaggerating. Your wisdom and her prosperity exceed the fame of what I heard. So Solomon had immense wealth, wisdom, and power. Deuteronomy 7.16 reminded us, and I think I mentioned this with David, He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. This was the standard that God had for a man who would be king in Israel. But we know Solomon, he massed great quantities of gold. He had his own gold mine. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14 says, The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. You could go figure that one out. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of the traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from all the governors of the country. Alan Milliard writing in the Bible and Spade, Archaeological Magazine says this the temple itself that Solomon built was not that big outwardly, but inside everything was gold. There were dishes and bowls, lamps, lampstands, and tongues of gold. The door fittings were gold. So was the table for the sacred bread. The priests mounting the steps to go inside would see nothing but gold and a rich curtain to that end. The biblical description in the first book of Kings, chapter 6, says Solomon built the temple. He lined its walls inside with cedar boards. He overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also covered the floors of the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. It was a golden temple. It was magnificent. It was breathtaking to walk into the temple as far as you can go. It says in First Kings 10, 16, Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He, he made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and he overlaid it with pure gold. So he built a magnificent temple. He built a palace for himself. That took 13 years. He built many other houses. He he obtained many other lands. The temple itself took seven years to build with 100,000 Israelites, 80,000 stone cutters, and 3,300 supervisors. For the temple project. First Kings nine twenty six tells us he had a large sh- fleet of ships, not as a defensive navy, but probably more for trade. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at geber which is near Loth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And I know you mentioned this in your Sunday School, he had an abundance of horses, right? Second Chronicles 9.24, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king at Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to talk about the discrepancy of numbers there. There's a lot of horses, however you take it. But remember Deuteronomy 7.16, But he, a king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. What's the big deal? Well, by setting a limit to moderate the amount of horses that the king would have, the king would not be able to take glory in how large and powerful his army was. He could not trust in his own power. But he would be forced to humble himself and always put himself in the hands of the Lord for God's deliverance. Now, I'm all for good financial stewardship, getting out of debt and staying out of debt, financial planning for the future, leaving an inheritance for your children, enjoying things in life that you work hard for. But many people work and they strive for more and more money and other things. Because they leave God completely out of the picture in their lives. Or they give him a little nod once in a while. They nod their head to God. But ultimately they are trusting themselves for their own happiness and their future. They're not trusting in the wisdom of God's word. They are trusting in their own wisdom. They look at circumstances and, and they they, and they reason within himself, well, if I do this, I think this will be the, be the better outcome for me. And oftentimes it's not. It's only temporary. But you know, churches can do the same thing. Bigger is better, right? So they have to follow what the big churches are doing. And then they become weighed down with programs and activities every night of the week. Personal relationships, discipleship, pastoral care can easily be lost in the process of building a big church that people take note of. I remind you that God does most of his work in this world through insignificant people and small churches like this one. Twenty churches of a hundred people is better than two churches of a thousand. fifty churches of a hundred people in many different communities is better than one church of five thousand with three campuses. So what we need today is not better market driven programs with the hot trending Christian music, but better Christians living their lives for the glory of God in the workplace in the marketplace, in the political realm, in the educational realm. We need godly stay-at-home moms and godly husbands and fathers, godly single men and women who have more time to serve the Lord in ways that married people cannot. This is how the Lord builds his church. The testimony of his people's lives, wherever they find themselves. What's this? What is it? It's a fork, an A. Scoot. Good, you get an A. It's a sermon illustration. Archaeological evidence suggests that spoons and handles were used for ancient Egyptian purposes as early as 1000 BC. Some of the earliest known table forks made their debut in the ancient Kija culture, probably in China. 2400 bc in thousands of years we still haven't invented better things to eat with than forks and spoons don't say chopsticks you know what the point is some things you cannot improve on right like reese's peanut butter cups now they're putting caramel In Reese's peanut butter cups. Who would think of such a thing? But some things you cannot improve on. Like like godly music. Preaching that is Bible-based. Expository. And meant to edify, not to entertain. Godly fellowship. Hospitality. Personal discipleship. Personal evangelism and prayer, both private and corporate. I've been emphasizing prayer lately. I think I have all my ministry I'm trying to encourage you all to come out to pray. Like what Leonard Ravenhill, the revivalist, says No man is greater than his prayer life, no woman is greater than her prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. If you are failing in prayer, in your your prayer life, you are failing. And it it will manifest itself in other areas of your life. It's that significant. And the word of God from beginning to end, from Genesis through Revelation, puts a great emphasis on prayer. So I encourage you to all come out and pray. So with a lot of gold, you can buy a lot of things. You could buy a lot of wives to wear their gold jewelry, right? That's exactly what Solomon did. Foreign and wise wives. Deuteronomy 17:17 17, 17, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself First Kings 11 King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughters of Pharaoh Yes they were part of political alliances. But it says he loved them. He loved many of them. I don't know how you could love 700 wives. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. It was forbidden. And here's the reason why. He says, surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal. To the Lord his God. Wow, he started out pretty well. But look how he ends up. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Astareth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is the east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the peoples of Ammon. And the peoples of Ammon would sacrifice children to Moab, to Molech. That's how evil it was. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my covenant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Actually, two signified as one. There's always a price to be paid, is there not? Sometimes the price is really heavy. 703 700 wives, 300 concubines, and all the wealth and alliance with the nations of these these wives provided. You know, really, I was thinking about this. Instead of titling this message, Fame, Fortune, and Folly, I could have said Fame, Fortune, and Females. Now, I'm not against females. Don't get upset. Right? But Solomon's first marriage was a step in the wrong direction. He took that step to consolidate an alliance with Egypt. It says in First Kings 3, Once Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. And it says, Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places. This is First Kings 3. They sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Except. Except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Boy, how many people? How how is it with us? So-and-so walked in, in the ways of the lord except well, what is that exception in our lives what has to change so that we can take that exception clause out of there and just say so and so walked in all the ways of the lord you know solomon says clung to those women He loved them. He clung to them. He clung to them while they were clinging to their gods. And they took him away from the one true God. Is there anything in my life, is there anything in your life that you are clinging to? That's taking away from your personal relationship with the Lord. Your walk with the Lord. What are you willing to give up to have the favor and blessing of the Lord upon your life? What what are you willing to give up that you may be clinging to to have the favor and the blessing of the Lord upon your life? If you cling to someone, if it's a person who is not rooted to Christ, because the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, But if you follow someone who is not following the Lord, you will fall. Absolutely fall. If you cling to material things, they will fail you, and you will fall. Whatever it is that you're clinging to, apart from Christ himself, will fail you. It will always fail you. You know, there are phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon wrote that speak for themselves and they speak volumes, depending on your translation. I built me. I got me. I made me. I gathered me. And then the phrase, for myself. Whatever his heart wanted Solomon obtained. So I put this down. With Solomon, everything was about Solomon. With Solomon, everything was about Solomon. He had it all from a worldly perspective. He had it all. Everything. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He tried it all but it never satisfied him. Vanity of vanities, he says. What? All is vanity. Emptiness of emptiness. All is emptiness. How many people do we know and hear of who who are rich, abundantly rich, and their lives are completely empty? Depressed. They go from one thing to another. They go from one wife to another, one husband to another. Ecclesiastes five ten. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Like J. J. R. or, or Rockefeller was, was once asked, "How much money is enough?" and he says, "Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more." nor he who loves abundance with increase this is also vanity it's vanity it's fleeting ecclesiastes 12:13 let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter after i've tried everything done there been done been there done that now what fear god and keep his commandments for this is man's all this is everything. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Right? He, he calls upon young people, right? I mean, live life. Live, live your life. You know, pursue the things, good things. Pursue them with passion. But remember this, paraphrase, in the end, God will what? Hold you accountable. Right? It's going to bring everything into judgment. Everything into judgment. Now, one other thing that I I want to mention before I finish is something I believe contributed to Solomon's downfall that can easily go unnoticed. And it's this. Solomon was ungrateful. He did not have a heart of gratitude. How do you know that? First Kings nine ten. Now it happened at the end of twenty years when Solomon had built two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as Solomon wanted. I'm here to help you. You just name it. I'll do it. I'll supply it. That king Solomon gave then king Solomon gave Hiram and Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. Hiram went from Tyre to see to the cities that Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, What kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? After everything he did for him, and he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. So here is Hiram, This dear friend of David, befriending Solomon, working hard for Solomon. Solomon could have rewarded him greatly with some of the best places in the land. But he gives him 20 cities that Hiram called Kabul, good for nothing, worthless baloney. I've done all this for you and you've given me this joke. That's an ungrateful heart. Solomon had the ability to give him a gift that would have wowed him, but instead he pawns off on him all of these decrepit, useless towns. It was an insult, especially to one who had done so much for him. Brothers and sisters, if we do not have a heart of gratitude toward one another, something's wrong. We're on a bad path. And I tell parents, and I have for years, teach your children to say please and thank you. Teach them how to write notes of gratitude to people. Write them yourself. It's nice. It's nice. Someone comes to you and acknowledges. Thank you for it. But I'll tell you what. It means something when somebody takes the time to write a thank you note and puts their heart into it, and you save it. I have a box full of notes that people have written because they they meant so much to me. Literally a box full of notes and words of encouragement from people here in this church going back thirty years, sometimes from little children who would, who would just draw a drawing. A simple little drawing. It meant so much. Be grateful. Thankful. Bruce Walkie, Old Testament scholar. If one should ask if Solomon is the wise author, how could he have died such a fool? How could he have started off well and ended up in such a mess? Let it be noted that he constructed his own gibbet. A gibbet is a stake on which he impaled himself. That is, he ceased listening to his own instruction. Spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. We can read and read and read the Bible, but what well, does it translate into our life? These are God's instructions. We can tell other people about them. But we can easily cease listening to them ourselves. So we we all have to take heed before we fall. Give the Lord your all for all of your life. Give the Lord your all for all of your life. He gave his all for you. Everything. Oswald Chambers, the devotional writer, says, I'll close with this. The surest sign that God has done a work of grace in my heart is that I love Jesus Christ best. Not weakly and faintly. Not intellectually, but passionately. Personally and devotedly. Overwhelming every other love of my life. I'll tell you, that struck me. Does Jesus overwhelm every other love of your life? Including the people dearest to you. Does he? Father, I thank you. Help us to reach that place where you are our all in all. Not to neglect of the things that we have to do nor the love that we need to show to everyone to our families, to our husbands, to our wives, to our children, and in our communities. But Lord, simply that you would have the preeminence over everything in our life. That you would have the devotion, the full devotion of our heart. And Lord, I understand that sometimes that can be costly. Because sometimes even in a marriage, one wants to go in one direction and another wants to go in another for the Lord. And it doesn't work out well. But God, help us, each one of us, to do what is right in your sight. To love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love Jesus above everything. I ask and pray in your name. Amen.